0: Thanks be to God. We'll be returning to First Thessalonians a little bit momentarily, but today for us as the church marks the beginning of yet another year. If you've been around here at all uh, for long at all, you understand that probably like most churches this season, the season of Advent is one of the, if not the most anticipated time of the year. For us, it marks the beginning of a new year and is one of the most important parts of that upcoming year. Advent consists of the four Sundays, the four weeks prior to the beginning of the Christmas season. The Christmas season, of course, begins on Christmas Day. It's a season that lasts for 12 days and is defined by celebration and exuberant joy. But Advent, prior to that celebration, Advent slows us down in the days preceding that celebration to help us Rightly prepare for the joy of Christmas. And so this is a season of expectation. The word Advent actually comes from a Latin word meaning coming or arrival. And of course, an arrival of any kind typically involves some sense of expectation. You know, last week, as our family was preparing for some of our Thanksgiving guests, we informed Cora that we had company coming, that her cousins were going to be staying with us and spending the night for almost a week, and she was pumped, to say the least. In fact, she was so excited that everybody we encountered out in public, whether we were at the grocery store or the park, she had to inform them, hey, we have company coming. I know I don't know you and you don't care, but I'm really excited. She didn't say that last part. That's my personal commentary on her thought process. But she was excited. All arrivals involve some sort of expectation. And that's especially the case for us during this season as we look forward to the celebration of Christ's advent. His first coming as a baby in the flesh. So we celebrate the historical person of Jesus who breaks into human history and begin reconciling the world to God. This morning, our call to worship came from Psalm 25. And in that Psalm, we we see this prayer voiced. The psalmist says this in verse 3, Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Don't let us be put to shame. Those who wait for you that is us. It is us just as much as it has been anybody in the church throughout history because we too are a people who wait. So while we identify with Israel, we identify with Israel's waiting during the season of Advent, we also have our own waiting to enter into. Because for us, Advent is not just remembering the past, but it is also looking ahead to the future. And so we participate in traditions that help us with that building sense of anticipation, like the one we participated in this morning with the Advent wreath. As we light a candle each week, moving closer to the center Christ candle, this helps us focus on that building anticipation that takes place during this season. This is Advent, a season of waiting. An expectation, but as the German theologian Karl Barth once said, "What other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent?" We are living in this time between the first advent of Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas, and the second coming of Christ, His return to be with us forever. So we are, in every sense of the word, Advent people. Which means that we are a people for whom hope and anticipation is still necessary. Today's text from the Hebrew prophets, the prophet Jeremiah to be more specific, begins the process of opening us up to some of these themes right here from the beginning of this short season. Today's reading from Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14, says this, and it's going to seem a little disconnected from what we're talking about, but we'll try to connect those dots. Verse 14, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So God promises here through the prophet Jeremiah to honor the Davidic covenant, a promise that it seemed at the time of Jeremiah, a promise that it seemed like God had forgotten about. But through Jeremiah, we we talked about that promise earlier this year when we looked at some of the high points of David's life where God promises to make David's house, to, to make him a line that would last and rule forever. And through the prophet Jeremiah, this promise is reiterated and has messianic roots. Pointing ahead to the coming Messiah who would execute justice and righteousness in the land. But what we must consider is the fact that when the promise for justice is needed, we infer that justice is currently lacking in some sense. Things are broken and while it seems like a delay, While it seems like the promise God made to David generations before, maybe God had forgotten about it. Jeremiah insists, no, God keeps his promises. So be patient, trust in the Lord, wait and remain hopeful, God keeps promises. Now, with all of this in mind, some of the texts that we are going to be paying attention to over the coming month may seem a bit odd, because this is leading up to Christmas, right? The season of perpetual hope, to quote Mrs. McAllister. But I think a lot of times we confuse hope with ease or comfort, when in fact hope is an evidence of almost the exact opposite. Because hope is only necessary when things aren't quite right. Hope is only necessary when there is much to be desired, when when something desperately needs to change. So when we read texts from the prophets in the coming month, from the major prophets and the minor prophets, and when we read New Testament texts that seem pretty apocalyptic in nature, don't worry. We do understand that this is Advent We do understand that this is not some doomsday series sermon series that we have planned to coincide with a national election or something like that. In fact, not only is the apocalyptic nature of our conversation not a mistake and not an oversight, but it is actually central to this season. During Advent, we plant ourselves in apocalyptic theology in some sense because we are looking to the horizon and seeking to cling to hope even in the midst of troubling times. Our scripture reading this morning was from 1 Thessalonians. Paul is writing to a church. This was a a church, a, a group of people who were waiting for the return of Christ But they started becoming a little bit discouraged. They started becoming a little anxious because it seemed as though Christ was delayed. He wasn't returning as quickly as they had anticipated. Things weren't working out in exactly the way they had envisioned. Progress wasn't being made the way they had hoped. And Paul writes to reassure them in the midst of that anxiety to keep hope. Now, in that letter, he addresses some of their specific concerns and their anxieties, like the one they had in regard to the fate of their friends that would die before Christ returned, what was going to happen to them. He writes to reassure them in regard to their actual suffering as they waited And they're concerned that Jesus was late for a pretty important appointment. And in the midst of all of that, Paul reminds them to be patient. To keep hope. Because at some point in the future, while it seems as though God has forgotten, at some point in the future, Christ will return and make all things new. So keep hope. I want to submit this morning that like the folks Jeremiah was writing to, and like the folks Paul is writing to in 1 Thessalonians, we are in a similar position. Because we too are a people of waiting. Patient and hopeful, yes, but waiting nonetheless. So maybe we need to consider, well, how do we wait faithfully? Faithfully. And probably before we ask that question, how do we wait faithfully as 21st century Westerners, we may need to ask, well, how do we even begin to develop the courage to wait at all? We just don't have to wait for much. I think increasingly in our world, the ability to wait with patience has been eliminated because we don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait for much at all and if something or if somebody forces us to wait longer than we wanted we can simply move on to the next vendor of that commodity that we are trying desperately to immediately take hold of I mean think about something as simple as our pursuit of information we we can google it we can ask siri we we don't have to put it off until we can make our way to the library and do some research We, we have that information right at our fingertips it's been said that we have more information available to us in this moment than any previous generation. We process more information in a single day than folks 100 years ago would have processed in an entire month. We don't have to wait for much at all. And so why would it even be remotely important to develop this ability to wait patiently for anything? As the human race, it seems that we have progressed beyond that but I want to submit as followers of Jesus know we haven't progressed beyond that and Advent reminds us that patient waiting is actually a principal characteristic of those who follow Jesus we cannot follow Jesus and not learn to wait patiently it doesn't work so the follow-up question then is how Do we wait faithfully? I want to take our attention to today's gospel reading in Luke chapter 21. Because we find Jesus addressing folks who are in a similar situation as well. A people in need of restoration, beginning to wonder if restoration would ever come. I mean, this is a chapter in Luke's gospel where Jesus foretells of the destruction of Jerusalem and insists that this is a catastrophe that was the result of, in some way, humans assuming that they had the best and most opportune answer to the present trouble. It was the thinking that we have to take matters into our own hands. We can fix what's wrong here. And Jesus begins to point them ahead to a time when all of their feeble attempts at progress and solutions to their problems would be revealed as the farce that they were. And yet he says, the Son of Man will come. The Son of Man will come and will restore what you never could. Our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 21, again, it's in the context of this larger conversation. In verse 25, we read this And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming to the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near, Jesus says, not because of you. You've tried to bring about your own redemption, and you're about to try that to, to, to do that violently, which is in the end going to be your destruction. But redemption is drawing near, not because of you, but because I am drawing near to you. We continue reading this parable in verse 29. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Restoration is coming. Your redemption draws near, but God is the primary agent in the arrival of this kingdom. And so I think a clue to the question of whether or not we are faithful in our waiting is seen in how we answer the question, well, who is truly making progress? Are we as the human race making progress? In some ways, but Advent poses another question for us. Are we the ones responsible for all progress? Is it our ability to advance that is finally going to usher in the kingdom of God? Can we create the utopia we long to live in? In short, maybe I'm a cynic, but I don't think we can. I think this is one of the great illusions we often function under, And as a result, I think sometimes progress becomes almost an idol because we assume that we have the knowledge and the power and the ability to fix everything. We can fix everything that's wrong with the world. It's just going to require that everybody in the world thinks just like me, right? I doubt that we can create the kind of utopia we long to live in in the here and now because, first of all, we can't even really agree on what that perfect world would look like. Secondly, though, me doing what I can to create paradise for me might end up looking like hell for somebody else. So I think that's the first and maybe one of the biggest problems, but I think another problem with this view that we have the power and the knowledge and ability to change everything that's wrong with the world is, well, what happens to our faith And what happens to our faithful waiting when we ourselves feel lost, when we have lost our capacity to try to bring the change that we long for, when we feel like we are hanging on by a thread, when we feel overwhelmed by the complexity of the world's problems and by the complexity of our own personal issues? What happens when we are unable to make the progress we hoped for or when that progress is too slow? I think these are questions that a lot of folks in our culture today are beginning to ask. And I think what happens, I actually think it's happening in many ways today, is that we begin, first of all, to give up on one another. We begin to cast blame on one another and we give up on faith. And if that's the path we choose, I think typically we become cynical. We become angry. We we become distraught, and we lose hope altogether. Not only hope in our ability to truly progress, but we begin to lose hope in everything. But again, we are a people of hope. We are a people for whom waiting is necessary, but we remain hopeful in that waiting. I like how Fleming Rutledge put it. She's a, an Episcopalian priest and scholar. And she was talking about her skepticism about humanity's capacity to truly progress. And she asked the question, besides progress toward what? Then she makes this point. Advent tells us that it is the Lord who progresses to us. That is what Advent means. The Lord who progresses to us, not the other way around. And I think this is essential for us to consider. I think one of the best remedies for the inevitable hopelessness that attitudes of self-sufficiency lead to, and the inevitable hopelessness that a confidence in our own ability to fix everything that's wrong with the world, I think the best remedy for that hopelessness is Advent. Because the critical or one of the critical components of the Advent message itself helps us rightly understand human progress and thus it helps us remain faithful in our waiting. The Advent season is a clear reminder that it is not we who progress toward God but it is God who first progresses to us. We've tried it the other way around. We've tried it the other way around for centuries. We see Israel in the first century trying it the other way around. Their thought process is, well, we've been under the heavy hand of Rome for far too long. Things are not as they should be. We are being exploited. We are being burdened by an oppressive empire. So it's too late. It is time for us to fight fire with fire. We, we need to take up arms and put this to rest. We can take them. We can fix this. But I think one of the things that Jesus is pointing his listeners to in this big chapter of Luke 21 is that what feels like a legitimate solution to your problem in this moment, the, the problem of the oppressive empire of Rome, what feels like a legitimate solution to that fighting fire with fire, is actually completely backwards. It's actually counterproductive, and it takes you away from my kingdom rather than leading to my kingdom. And I think in a way he is insisting, look, your job is not to fix everything. You do have a job, but it's not to fix everything in your own power and your own strength, but it is first and foremost to stay awake to stay alert so that you can discern God's activity, to notice the arrival of the kingdom, and then to work in tandem with God's kingdom, not apart from it. Verse 34, we continue reading. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says, Your redemption is drawing near. Keep your eyes open, stay awake. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this text in the message, put it this way in verse 34, but be on your guard. He said, don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by complete surprise. What an appropriate consideration for Advent. Advent. Are there practices that we are engaged in that are doling the sharp edge of our expectation of our coming redemption? And maybe it's not frivolous activities that we are engaged in that are doling that sense of expectation, but maybe it's just the belief that we no longer need Jesus to bring restoration. We no longer need Jesus to restore because we have the answers. And we have the ability to implement the solution if we could just get everyone in the world to think just like us. What, what I'm not suggesting, and I hope, I hope you hear this, I'm not suggesting that regress is the answer at all. And I'm not suggesting that complacency is the answer. I, I don't think waiting and complacency are synonymous in this sense. Jesus says here that The kingdom of God is near, The things seem really bad right now, and they are, but your solution might not be the best approach, or the way that you try to implement your solution may actually be taking you further away from the kingdom of God. We do have a task, Jesus says. We do have a purpose in the coming redemption. And it begins with remaining watchful. So I'm not suggesting that progress isn't important. I think we would agree that it is important. We do have work to do. We have contributions to make. I think there are many ways in which we as individuals, in which I and which you, in which we as the church need to change to reflect more accurately the mercy and love of Jesus. But... And I think Advent reminds us of this fact. We always work in concert with God's arrival, in concert with God's presence, not apart from it. Because we're Christians. We follow Jesus, and so we are joining the restoration that Christ is bringing. We are looking for ways in which that restoration is breaking into our world, and then we are coming alongside it and working in tandem with that. So maybe we would ask, is our sense of expectation and anticipation dulled by life's trivial affairs? Or is our sense of expectation dulled by our belief that we can progress far enough to save ourselves? I think we often feel this drift into thinking that, well, if God isn't going to do anything with what's wrong in our world today then I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands because either God can't or God won't act to fix what's going on. And so our progress and our ability to work and to straighten out this mess that we are in is our only hope. And if that is our only hope, we are in trouble. So what I'm hoping to do over the next few weeks is help point us to the reality that Christ's arrival, it is Christ's arrival, Christ's advent, God progressing to us that begins to make the world new. And Christ's return will finally, once and for all, reverse the curse of sin Restore all that is fractured and bring peace into our world and peace into our souls. And that is where our hope is as Christians. Not in our ability to advance to the point where we don't need Jesus anymore. No, our hope is that Jesus progresses to us. When we are at our most helpless and at our most broken, Jesus is arriving. He is always arriving, and we await his return. This is our hope. The late great Lutheran theologian Robert Jensen said this of Israel and of the church. He said, her God is not salvific because he defends against the future, but because he poses it. He is salvific because he poses the future God is a God who keeps promises. We wait faithfully as the body of Christ by trusting that God is the God of history and our future. And even though the days may be dark, which I think in many ways they are dark, and yet His presence is with us in that darkness, This is what we confessed when we lit the Advent wreath. We are your people walking in the darkness. We wait for your light. Come, Lord Jesus. And so we diligently look for the ways in which God is working today, and we work alongside that activity, and ultimately we await the day when Jesus returns and restores all that is broken. Waiting is not indicative of giving up. It's not. Waiting with patience is not indicative of losing faith. It's not synonymous with becoming complacent because of the complexity and the profundity of the problems that vex our world. No, waiting is a faithful disposition for followers of Jesus. We work while we wait, it is active waiting. We join the restoration Christ is bringing about as we wait, but we are not under the illusion that we are going to completely fix this mess on our own. No, God is restoring. God is bringing life where all signs of life have withered. As we begin to wrap this up, and Kevin, if you all wanna come up, I wanna share one other thing that Fleming Rutledge said. She said, the Bible story is not a triumph of the human spirit story, It's a triumph of God's story. God is the main character. The main plot line is about God creating, God rescuing, God redeeming, God restoring, God with us. This is our hope. This is our hope. Remember this. God is faithful. God is with us and will be with us to the end. Amen. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, as we enter this season of waiting, where we come to terms with the fact that our entire lives are defined by patient and hopeful waiting, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to wait. We pray that our sense of expectation, that that sharp edge of expectation would not be dulled, by by frivolous affairs or by our belief that we have the solutions and the power to change the world. No, Jesus, we wait on you. Help us to remain watchful. Help us to look for your activity, to look for the ways in which you are bringing restoration today. Help us to work alongside that, but we also accept the fact that we don't work apart from your kingdom, apart from your purposes, because we are Christians. We are followers of yours. So Lord Jesus, help us as we wait. Help us to be patient. Help us to be hopeful. We wait for you.